Motorcycles and Misfits. Who? Here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone. Your house, Emma's house, Beagle's house. (laughs) Yes, from all of our houses. So uh, it's April and again reporting from the COVID-19 lockdown. What are we on? Week four now? Has it been four weeks? Yeah, week four. It's uh, Easter Sunday. This is Easter Easter Sunday. Happy Easter everyone. Yeah. Um, this is really bizarre for me. It's the longest that the garage has ever gone without being open in like 13 years. I think. You know, I've, I've, wow. I've got to be honest with you, Liza. I am really missing the garage. I mean, I really am. It's become so much of a Sunday tradition for so many of us. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really a little bit lost without it. I love doing the podcast. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like once this whole thing blows over, the garage is going to be crowded in a really heavy and major way. You know what I was thinking about today was that what's crazy is that I feel like we live like in the Midwest where it snows for six months. Like I have been going to work occasionally. (laughs) I was commuting a lot originally the first week, week and a half. Then I narrowed it down. Um, And now we're kind of in this agreement where we're not riding motorcycles at all. This is the longest I've gone without throwing a leg over a bike since I've been riding. Wow. Hey, hey we're getting ahead of ourselves because you who, need to who say here? Who, who here. Let's get to who is here. I know we're all chomping at the bit at the bit because we haven't seen each other. We don't talk to each so other good. very much. So we got a lot to catch up but just with ourselves. Hey, everyone. This is Eliza. And uh, coming from his, looks like his garage, it's Bagel. Oh, you're still muted, Bagel. Try that again. There we go. Isolated and inebriated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rest of the world. Let's see. Coming to us from his, is that your living room? Is that, we've got knock. Hey, microdose THC, what up? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time to learn the, uh, the power of edibles in a controlled and safe manner. That's a good point. Very good point. Uh, unless he coming to us from his shed, it's Naked Jim. What's up? We're at the bunker. Actually, the <laughs> the bunker of of. of... Well, I don't know what to oh, we're we're going to get to yesterday. that. Oh, What's up, everybody? Hope you're social distancing. Yeah, Fucking stay off the bike for a little while. Let's get this shit sorted out. So yeah. coming to us from her looks like her library, including her Yamaha geishas. It's Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Yep. I am coming to you from my study in Monterey, California. Doesn't that sound posh, darling? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, especially when you have a col- not one, but a collection of Yamaha Geisha Awards for being the top mechanic at Yamaha School. Yeah, isn't that wild? It's pretty yeah, cool. That's wild. Hey, Emma. I yes, want to play a little game with you real quick. Okie dokie. Let's play a game called Word Association. You familiar okay. with this? Yeah, let's do that. All right. And this is going to be in the category of classic, like, super bike racers. I'm going to say a brand, and I want you to name the the racer you associate with that brand. Oh, gosh, right? I'll do my best. All right. So what if I said Honda? Oh, 
Fast Freddy Spencer. That's right. How about Kawasaki? Kawasaki. Eddie Lawson, of course. Oh, yeah. One of the greats. What if I said uh, Yamaha? Well, you know, Yamaha never really were big into superbike racing, but, you know, Yamaha and King Kenny Roberts, they go together like so, peanut butter and jelly. And the thing I love about them, they all have, like, bikes, uh, the paint schemes and stuff that are very recognizable. Right. All right. Well, we've got to bring up Suzuki. What about Suzuki? Oh, one of my favorites. You know how much I love Suzuki's. I know you do. Um, only one name springs to mind. That'd be Wes Cooley. Ah, so cool. Well, you don't say. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? I got, I, got a surpri- I got a surprise for y'all. Guess who is on the phone with us right now? <laughs> Mr. Wes Cooley. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. That is Glad awesome. Glad to be talking to all you motorcyclists. Yay. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yes. So for those who don't know Wes, and it, it, if you don't, it's simple, you know, quick Google, you, you'll see this bike that's just famous for him. But um, I, think I would say see the mustache pop up first. That was an epic stash, dude. <laughs> uh, most notably, the, the things here, 1979-1980 um, Superbike National Champion, and also uh, was on the Yoshimura team, rode the Yoshimura Suzuki GS1000S, which is an iconic, iconic bike. But not just that, this was at the, Wes, you were there for the beginning of the AMA Superbike class, weren't you? Yes, yes. In fact, uh, the AMA was just dabbling his fingers in superbikes, and they actually had a lightweight class, too, besides uh, which ended up being the heavyweight superbikes uh, eventually. And I started off when there was lightweights. I rode an RD350 Yamaha on that. Wow. And transferred over to the GS. And I would say another one of your big accomplishments, AMA Hall of Fame 2004. Yeah, I made it. You did. (laughs) <laughs> Congratulations. Well done. Awesome. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jim, did you have a question for Wes? You raised your hand. I was just curious. I know you came from a racing family and you started racing at a young age. You mentioned the RD350. Where did you start racing and what bike did you start racing on when you were a kid? Oh, you're going to love this one. Uh, I actually remember the date exactly. It was August 4th, 1970. And it was at a racetrack called Willow Spring, which is uh, in Southern California. And believe it or not, uh, it was like 117 degrees out in the shade. And my father was an international, he worked for an international pharmaceutical company. And he was out of town and my mother was there putting the races on. And we usually had like, say, 150 riders. And on this day, because the heat was so bad, we had like 21. Wow. And, and a friend of the family's, whose name is Dick Pierce, he had uh, a 350 Suzuki air cold, and then he also had a 200cc Greaves Silverstone. And he, most people know Greaves as being a motocross bike, but this is actually right. a, road, a road racer. And he said, Do you want to try it? And I said, of course. And he said, well, you got to go ask your mom. And my mom started me off. She said it was okay. So all right. It's all her fault. 
<laughs> everything that happened after that. And uh, so, yeah, Greve Silverstone uh, in the middle of the hot desert. That is wild because, yeah, I know how hot it gets out that way. Yes, yes, it was. No, I, that was all. And I'm I'm thrilled, Wes, that you got your start on an English bike. That that yes. really is. It's just warming my heart so much. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the first front leading forks, you know, with the yeah, up the, yeah, yeah. It was definitely interesting. Wasn't very fast, I hate to say. But. Well, I know, but they, they, they were very successful dirt bikes because that leading fork really helped them get over bumps. Not quite such an advantage on the track as you found out, but in the dirt, they were great. Yes, so, true. So you came from a racing family, yeah? Yeah, my father used to run a small Southern California club. They did road racing. They were along with the dirt diggers, one of the first people to run motocross in the United States, uh, flat track and TT, and hill climbs. That's so, I mean, you, did you start out on two wheels pretty early then? Yeah, five years old. Wow. And it was on a little Suzuki 50, one of those ones that has the fairing in it and the step-throughs. and <laughs> Didn't handle too good in the dirt, but... <laughs> I was still riding it. <laughs> nice. So I'm curious, did you do any flat track racing? Because that was so popular back then. And I got to say, no. pictures of you of a kid, of this little kid with that blonde hair are just awesome. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy kids that get into motorcycle racing. And as long as they don't have their father pushing it down their throat, but they become interested on their own. Uh, and so anytime I found somebody like, like that, Kid, for instance, uh, God, I can't even remember his name right now. Anyway, it's always been a pleasure of mine to, to talk with them and kind of, if they have any questions, to answer them for them. Nice. Now, the th thing I love about your story is, even though you were brought up in racing, that wasn't always your chosen career path. You actually had to make a decision between two different careers that were very That's different. Yes, that was true. I was pre-med. I was headed for pre-med and uh, doing okay, doing quite well. It's just that I couldn't do both. I mean, it became obvious. And I always thought if I do the motorcycle racing now, it's easier to go back and do the schooling and the pre-med stuff later on. The thing was that the motorcycle racing took off so well for me that uh and it's a lot more fun than sitting and staring and reading books to be quite honest with you so i decided to go racing so i love that coming from a racing family you in med school did that make you the black sheep of the family were they disappointed well, actually <laughs> no not really not really in fact uh the only person i ever had an argument about it was with my uncle and um, and it wasn't, you know, anything to be fought over. The problem was is that, as in any case, is that I don't, I don't ever, you'll find out, I don't ever toot my own horn. Mm. I let somebody else do it. And when I was getting in the racing, I was doing so well, they couldn't argue with it. <laughs> so, or at least they didn't anyway. 
Nice. So you had to make the choice. So you drop out of school. You went into racing. And what yep. year are we talking? Well, I started riding professionally in 72. They had a novice class back then, and I started riding a TZ250 mm-hmm. in the AMA novice class. Nice. And how, how soon um, were you making your way up the ranks? Did you start winning any titles? Well, yeah, in the local club level, yes. I, I couldn't really tell you all the ones, but several. And then in uh, 73 or 74, um, Pop Yoshimura had Vondo Hamel riding their motorcycle at the AMA events. Because Yvonne uh, lived in Quebec, and Yoshimura was loaded, uh, located in Southern California, he decided to have me, he watched me at a couple club races and said that he would rather have me test his stuff and practice on it. Uh, it was much more inexpensive, obviously, than bringing Yvonne all the way from Quebec. Now, Pops Yoshimura, that's a huge name in racing. They're still around today, the Yoshimura brand. Um, I'd love to hear some stories about Pops and the beginning of Superbike back then. What was he like? Well, (laughs) okay, here we go. So, (laughs) Pops, Pops, um, in the shop in North Hollywood, he only spoke Japanese. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, we did the grunts and the groans and the hand gestures and everything as far as, you know, when the bike was not handling so well and, and or, uh, say, not accelerating like it thought it could be. And uh, so we went through all those hands and gestures and everything else. And then I did that for several years. Um, and Fujio spoke uh, English, but... He wasn't always at the races like Pops was. And so we went through our getting to know each other, for lack of a better description, um, through those hand gestures and grunts and groans and everything else. And so we just started making... Pops always made fast equipment. There was... If something was wrong, I've seen him sit in the hand file a set of slides... So we got a little bit more mid-end torque out of the thing uh, by hand, right there in the garage, doing his thing. Um, he spent—I didn't spend a lot of time in the garage, but uh, I always knew that when I got on the racetrack, that I would have really the fastest motorcycle there, without a doubt. Without I mean, he—he he was the best tuner of the time, oh, right? I mean, yeah. The, I mean. You know, and of course, Pops is kind of like me. He never bragged about anything. He never took anything for granted. He was always up front and doing the best he could. And if he had a problem, Pops would figure out a way to fix it, no matter what it was. Brakes or suspension or whatever the case. He wasn't just a motor man, even though that's what he excelled at uh, the best out of all the things that he did. Wes, darling, and, uh, this is um, this is Miss Emma. You know, I I wanted to to say that the 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 bike that is most associated with you is the Yoshimura GS one thousand. But you didn't start off with um, with the big super bikes 
on Suzuki. I think the year before it was Kawasaki's, wasn't it? Yes. And then yes. the, the GS thousand was a better handling bike. Is that well? When am I when right in that? Yes, you are. Yes, you're. It was a definitely a better handling bike. Um, I rode the Kawasaki, um, and uh, let's see, it was seventy-eight or seventy-seven. I'm terrible with dates, so you're gonna have guys are gonna have to excuse me. But anyway, um, <laughs> they put Steve McLaughlin on the bike when Suzuki started again and rested in the Superbike racing, and Steve rode it for the first year. I was still riding for the Kawasaki for the Kawasaki. And it did handle better. There was no doubt about it. It had motor trouble at first because Pops was trying to pump out all this horsepower out of it. And it didn't, it had parts that were breaking. Like we had one year at Suzuka, the first year there, the clutch would go out about after about two laps to go or into practice. So Mm -hmm. it had difficulty. And then finally, like I said, um, You guys probably all know Steve McLaughlin, correct? Yeah. It is a name that's familiar to me. You share it with the with the listeners because well, some of these well, guys are like, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, Steve uh, was a good writer. Um, the only problem was his mouth went faster than he rode the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sounds so like not. He, he seemed to dig himself a grave. And that's exactly what he did with Yoshimura. It finally got so bad that Pops wasn't going to put up with it. And that's when they decided to ask me to write the thing uh, in the AMA events. So Steve did a lot of improvements with the motorcycle when he was riding it. But it still wasn't top form. And uh, Pops and I worked it out to get it to handle better, get it to stop better, Get it to hook up better. Uh, we finally just kept working on it till it became obviously in '79 and '80 the top motorcycle, as far as right. I'm concerned. And just to give people an idea, um, these were big horsepower motorcycles. You had what 150, 160 horsepower at your disposal. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, that is a lot of horsepower in basically a big horse of a bike. Yeah, and and unfortunately, the Japanese metal was not that good, so the frames were twisting in the middle, uh, <laughs> trying to pull all that horsepower to the ground. And of course, the tire technology was not up to what it needed to be either. So, in fact, one one race at Ontario, which is not there anymore, but in Ontario, California. Um, they had slicks had come out. Goodyear had been starting to produce the slicks, but the slicks grabbed so good that they made the bike handle so bad that I went back to running treaded tires. Right. The Kawasaki ones, because, uh, uh, not the Kawasaki, but uh, the Dunlop ones with the tread on them, because it didn't slide, and I love sliding the thing, so <laughs> it was better than making it wobble in the middle coming out of a turn. Oh, my you God. Know- 
you know, I was talking to some, actually, I think it was you, Jim. I was talking to uh, somebody about the difference between a Grand Prix bike and the super bikes and how they look and how they are. Because, of course, Grand Prix bikes, they were running two strokes right up until the 90s. It was that was very the conversation, different. right? Because yeah. the winning bikes were two strokes up into the 90s. And why are these guys racing four strokes this early but it's on? A, was, it's yeah. a different category. It's a it, Superbikes were highly modified street bikes. I think the idea with superbikes is you could actually see West Cooley go by and then look at your own bike on the way home and see a tangible link between the two. Exactly. That's exactly what happened, Emma. Right. Um, and as by. a young rider myself, in 1979, I had my GS1000. And like yours, it was red with a white flash on the side. And I couldn't afford all the Yoshimura stuff, but it had a really nice Yoshimura 4 into 1 on it, and it sounded really good. But the difference between mine and yours, I had about 85 horsepower to play with, and that was it. Because <laughs> it was a stock JS1000 with a, with a Yoshimura 4 into 1 on it, so about half your horsepower. But... It seems such a different world to me. You know, just a young kid riding around rainy Britain, and we'd see this footage of these superbike races, generally at Laguna Seca in the sunshine, and boy, you guys were going fast on them. And that's something I wanted to say. I think part of the reason that these names are still big today is these guys are the like the cowboys of the wild west to me you're talking about the horsepower on those bikes which is what you said is similar to like jim's uh fc1 i think right yeah his modern bike but with what we now consider antiquated tires suspension and brakes and the speeds these guys were riding these things dude i mean it's crazy you guys were the legit cowboys out there so um what would what would you say are some of like your most memorable best races oh boy now you're really quizzing me <laughs> you know well i'm gonna go back on what you're talking about yeah. being the four strokes compared to the two okay. strokes yeah first thing is is that the four stroke just like we're saying is something you could go into this dealership and buy now even no matter how much stuff you bought from Yoshimura, Emma, it was never what was in that motorcycle. I mean, oh no, had, of course not. You know, cams and pistons, and I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that wasn't stock on it, but yet it still looked stock. So the average motorcycle enthusiast could get interested because. Even though he couldn't, he thought he could get something that was as fast as what I was racing. And I think that helped the industry out tremendously uh, as far as giving it a bump and a push as to following suit. Because you couldn't buy a TZ750, a water-cooled four-cylinder 750 to ride on the street. But yeah, you could go buy this GS or KZ or whatever it, it might be. And I think that helped the industry out tremendously. Uh, as far as keeping sales going, you know, keeping everything going. So it, it really it really did a lot, uh, especially when, you know, Eddie and Freddie and Kawasaki and Honda, they all got interested in promotions and the class. 
And so it was easy for a guy to even have a Ducati. And it was out there, too. And say, well, my bike's racing, too. And I'm going to beat you. So uh, I think it helped the sport along tremendously. Tremendously. In fact, uh, I think that if we hadn't done that, it might have died even sooner than it has already. Well, to me, that period is is very much the golden age of that kind of bike. We're never going to see giant, high-horsepower, air-cooled bikes like that anymore. And you, know, you were right there at the time, and you have no idea how... You were personally responsible for selling thousands of big-capacity Suzukis in England. Thousands of them. Well, thank you, but I don't know if I'll... Now, is this... Is this where I say, where's my cut? Yeah, right. Text <laughs> in the mail. One of the, really yeah, cool right. things, one of the really cool things that you mentioned, them is like things they don't do anymore. And I, there's so many questions I, I want to ask them, um, ask Wes, everything about the Cross and Spencer, what it was like, like racing back then. But one thing specifically I'm always curious about, because they, they don't race the fast bikes at Daytona anymore. What was it like hurling around Daytona, like back in 1981? Oh, and a side question. We watched the video of you, of you announcing a race from inside your helmet in second place. That was amazing. So I yeah. want to know, what was that like? We couldn't believe it. We're like, he's talking to a TV guy, and he's actually in second place right now, talking about not crashing. You got to tell me well, about that, Wes. If you noticed, I finished in second, damn it. Well, that's because you didn't want to crash. You told us. Yeah, it's true. You know, and the thing was, like, about Daytona was that um, it was so fast everywhere. There was no real, even though Horseshoe and the Chicane and stuff were slower, um, it was just so fast everywhere. And in the case of, uh, I remember talking about old stories. I remember one year we were there um, with the Kawasaki. This is before I got out of the Suzuki. And it was handling so bad. And I came off, let's see, it'd be the East Bank, I guess it was, down towards the start finish line. And it started to wobble so bad that it threw my feet off the pegs. And we're talking 160. Oh, my God. Yeah. All I remember was, <laughs> all I remember was Fujio and Pops running, running for the pit lane. Because <laughs> they thought I was going to come get him, I think. <laughs> Fall off. It, it scared them so bad. It had me kind of puckered up, too. But, uh, How bad? Yeah. So it's uh, back then, the speed of those bikes, and especially the way they handled back then, uh, was so, uh, the word of money, is, was so off that they didn't handle the amount of speed and horsepower they put into them that it was kind of scary and sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it sounds pretty dicey. So I would like to know more about what it's like to race at Suzuka. So yeah, good question. That was one of my. That, I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, what's that? An eight-hour race. Yes. Okay, yes. And, and how many people on your team? Two. 
two riders sharing the load of an eight-hour race. What? What I've is? Done Twenty-four hours with two people. What? Wow. Whoa. Yes. Dude, so Wes, how does that work? Do you do like two-hour shifts or one-hour well, we shifts? Did, we usually did a tank full. Okay. That way you don't have to stop an extra time for anything else. So we switch riders every tank, which is usually was around an hour and 15. Okay. You know what I love about a tank full? There. We were watching videos of the, the, the refill, like when you pulled into the pit and got refueled. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes up, no gloves, no nothing. They're in a mechanic shirt and a baseball cap. That's it. They got the gas can pumped in there. It was awesome. It's great to watch. Remember, that was back <laughs> when there were no rules. They were drinking <laughs> beers right beforehand. They were like, they yeah. were eight beers into a 12-pack. There, yeah. there you go. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> and out of all the years that I raced and, and everything else, things change like everything else in the world. Things change rapidly, and usually, hopefully, for the better. You know, it did in the the racing part of it, anyway. I I think the racing now is certainly safer than it was in your day. But oh, I think far. when if 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 we look yeah. back from a historical perspective, I really think that the the mid to late seventies really were a golden age for motorcycling. And well, you're very like much just, part of that. Yeah, well, like we were talking about, uh, going uh, to the superbikes changed everything. I can remember Kenny saying, oh, you're going to ride the diesel, huh? You know, he <laughs> always used to kid me about me riding the diesel. Right. So, so I mean, that was kind of standard procedure for Kenny. He didn't... Uh, he didn't believe in four strokes at all as far as road racing goes. He was, you know, third track, yeah, they're good for it. But uh, as far as road racing go, he wasn't behind four strokes whatsoever. Yeah, but look at what his career did. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Kenny that who? guy? Kenny who? So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to point something out that I think is also very cool, especially, I mean, how many years was your career? Well, I started in 70, and then that accident in 85 uh, basically ended my career, even though I uh, rode a couple times after that, but never never got back into form. Well, so, what are we talking? Yeah, so like 15 f- years? 15, 15, 15, that's years. A 15-year career. Um, and then t- doing these endurance events like Suzuka, I mean, that takes a real athlete and something about you maybe not a lot of people know but i think is amazing is that you have diabetes so yes i've had that since i was see since 63 since i was 11 Mm. wow that i mean that for a lot of people that's life-changing but it hasn't stopped you i'm wondering if that ever affected you in any races oh yeah it did there's no doubt about it. In fact, at Riverside one year, uh, I was running fourth behind Stevie Baker and Kenny and I think it was Nixon at the time. And uh, my blood sugar went so low that I dropped back to 11th within like two laps. Being a diabetic is a dangerous disease to have. Things can change on you very quickly, but also very slowly. 
So you have to keep on top of it. And I always, God's been very nice to me and let me survive through all these injuries and everything else and still be, you know, my blood sugar is where it should be and I'm doing okay right now. And uh, I've been very fortunate because it is a nasty disease. You know, you just you just throw out a name there of another person who I've very much admired was Steve Baker. And my knowledge of Steve Baker, you know, in England we had this thing called the Transatlantic Trophies. And yeah, the idea sure. was the best of American riders came over and raced the best of British riders. And Steve Baker was very much respected in England because he could really hold his own in poor weather conditions you know the joke in the early days was the americans are fast but they can't ride in the rain like us brits <laughs> and the one who kind of proved them wrong was steve baker and he did very well in the rain always and of course yeah. it was england because it was always bloody raining i always used to love running in the rain or at night <laughs> right Maybe a rainy racetrack or in the middle of the night and i kicked ass <laughs> I was good with that, you know. But That's uh, you did yeah, like and Stevie, Stevie was was a great writer, a great writer. And to me, if I could tell you, out of all the racers that I rode with and know of and talked with, Steve was the most cordial out of all of them. Well, good because I want to interview him as well. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, I have the utmost respect for Steve because he never talked himself up, never cussed and screamed and any of that other stuff. Like, you know, Nixon was a good guy, but he cussed and screamed. And right, right, right. Kenny, we won't even talk about Kenny. <laughs> well, you know, and, uh, this is, this is going to be your opportunity to do a bit of name dropping, Wes. So well, we're going to go I, through some people and you're going to yeah. tell us what they were really like. <laughs> so um, well, I let's hear about talk. Let's hear about Cross. You want to hear you about Graham gonna, Crosby? You guys are gonna. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you wasn't guys he are gonna get Zuka me in partner? trouble, huh? No, not at all. It's just you and us, Wes. It's just you and okay. us, darling. So you can say what you want. Okay. So no, let's talk about that ain't the Mad true, Kiwi. It goes out over the air. <laughs> <laughs> the Mad Kiwi. Remind me to tell you the Cross story when we get there, because I've got a good one about Cross. Oh, you can tell it now. Yeah, tell it right now. now. <laughs> okay, so Graham has always been wild and crazy and cocky, and he's a great rider too. He's very rough. He he to me he rides rough, but he always did a good job at it. And anyway, so I'm down for the Marlboro series in New Zealand. This was I was riding the TZ. Right. So this had been seventy five, seventy six. Right. Somewhere and that's there. home turf. That's actually home turf for Crosby, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was at Roapunga. That's one of the racetracks there. And it was Christmas. I mean, it was New Year's Eve. So Crosby, of course, he loves to drink, and so do I, actually. I, <laughs> for all the stuff that I, I did and shit that I pulled, I'm surprised that I'm still real. But uh, anyway, he, him and I, after their practice, we decided we were going to go have a drink. Just one. You know. <laughs> That's how it starts. It might be a big one. one, but just one. 
Well, all I remember is that him and I falling down in the middle of the street trying to cross back to our hotel. We were both so damn drunk that neither one of us could stand. So we finally get to the hotel, and of course I puked my guts out all night, and I don't know about Cross. I think he had more of an iron gut than I did. But anyway, the next race, the next day, we get up and go to the race. Best race I ran the whole time I was there. Lion <laughs> Crosby and them and Greg Hansford and uh, I can't remember who the, the other person was it might have been that Japanese rider who was riding for Yamaha at the time but I finished the best race I was so mad at myself for doing that to myself that I concentrated just a little bit extra because sometimes <laughs> just that little bit extra is all it took so you did it every race after that? Was that the key to your no, success? No, 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 no. My <laughs> gut wouldn't handle it, so no. <laughs> might, have been a, might have been a good thought, though, but no. Okay. So thanks for dishing the dirt on, on Cross, and that it doesn't surprise us at all, frankly. Um, I've got a few mates from New Zealand, so I know what they're like. Um, what about Mike Baldwin? He's a very interesting character. Mike was always so quiet. Yeah. Yeah, Mike was always so quiet. He never tooted his own horn or anything like that at all. He was always so quiet. He just went fast. He's and, a fast uh, guy, yeah, and he just kind of went about his business, and that's why I'm yeah. asking. It was just, it was there was a precision to Mike's racing that is very appealing to me you see he seemed to be a guy he just got on his bike went about his business got off his bike and won race won races that, that was it that was that was mike a perfect example that's exactly what mike was like he never talked about the motorcycles the track any of that he didn't ever talk about any of it even if you know freddie or Eddie and I were standing around bullshitting about stuff. He never had any input. The only thing, a little funny story about Mike Baldwin. So the first year I kind of hooked up because he rode the eight-hour race with me. In 1978 it was when we won the first one, the very first one. Mm -hmm. I remember it was 78 or 79. Anyway, so we're over there, and he was – I wore a helmets. The only person who wore one in the United States before me was Skip Axman. He actually had an Orion helmet in the United States before I rode with one. And um, that was another story. Uh, anyway, um, so Mitch Orai, the owner, his father started the company when they were building helmets for the Japanese Army during World War II. Mm. And he said, asked me, or to ask Mike if he's interested in riding one and be sponsored by them. So I asked Mike, and Mike said, of course, money. Money talks on everything. And he said yes. And so we got him all fitted up, and they go they go through a harsh, harsh fitting process as compared to Bell or any of the other ones I ever wore. And... After Mike left before I did, and afterwards, I was sitting in Mitch's house, and uh, we were talking, and he asked me, or one of the guys asked him to ask me, um, if everyone's head was like Mike's in Japan, or in America. And I mm. thought, 
his head. What does this mean? Well, Mike <laughs> has a very narrow head. It's not necessarily small, but it's very narrow and the same length from the back to up by his nose. Huh. Very narrow. Like a canoe. And they asked me if everyone else, because they wanted to know if they needed to bring out a new design. <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I said no, but I just, I always thought that was an interesting thing. They wanted to know if they needed to bring out a new design for the American market. Wow. But, you know, it's, if if there's only a couple of people wearing them at this stage, so I guess they had a right to think that way. Oh, exactly. I mean, That's I, amazing. I don't know how much dealing with the Japanese you've done in your past, Emma, but... Well, um, the, my experience with the Japanese, and I think this might resonate a little bit with you, um, I was very involved with Honda UK for a long time, and they had their headquarters in Chiswick, outside London. And when you actually went to the Honda headquarters, there'd be a lot of people from Europe and a lot of people from Japan, and everybody looked the same. Everybody was wearing um, a white lab coat with Honda yep. on it. And you didn't know who they were. They could be the janitor, or they could be the senior engineer or the CEO, because everybody looked exactly the same there was no uniform and that was very deliberate because in honda thinking everybody was of equal importance to the big that's picture. exactly exactly the way every one of the companies was exactly every it didn't matter whether you were the most senior engineer or you cleaned the lavatory didn't, it didn't matter you did were a not. vital part What's, what's interesting is I'm looking at Emma. You can't see her, Wes, but we're video calling. Behind Emma are three Japanese geisha dolls that are awards for being top mechanic. At which school was it, Emma? A Yamaha training. Yeah, so top Yamaha of her class in Yamaha training are three geisha, geisha dolls. So well, congratulations. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, I'm so close to retirement now, Wes. Like you, it was all a long time ago. Yeah, well, let me tell you something about retirement. It sucks. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I don't have, I never really got something that I was really interested in other than motorcycles, and I can't really ride them that much now. Um, just so... Retirement for me has been comfortable, but really kind of sucked. So <laughs> I want to go back, and you, you, you know, we've interviewed a lot of motorcycle racers, including Wayne Rainey. A crash ended Wayne's career, and obviously, the outcome of the crash was a lot more life changing than yours. Yeah. However, I mean, a crash is a crash, especially a career ending one. Are you comfortable talking a little bit about it? Oh, yeah, not, not a problem. I mean, because, you know, the thing was is that crashing is part of what happens with motorcycles. It's just everyone's done it. Everyone's had the misfortune of doing it. Um, Wayne's, to me, and I talked to him many, many different times, I don't ever talk about the crash just because I don't think he wants to talk about it. But um, for me, I don't care. I mean, it was my fault. I mean, there was 
no well, doubt run about us, it. Run us through it, Wes. So it's 1985. Okay. Yes, 1985. We're at Sears Point mm -hmm. Raceway in Northern California. And there was Freddie on the Honda. And another thing, another guy who was there that was, uh, his name was Gary Scott. Not, not Gary Scott, excuse me. Scott Gray was his name. Scott Gray. And he, that was his local track. So he was very fast uh, there. And we started running the race, and I was running. We were all switching back and forth from first to third and back again the other way and back again the other way. And they red flagged the race because Gary had crashed, and they couldn't get the way this racetrack was set up. They couldn't get the ambulance to him in a safe mode, so they red flagged the race for a restart. Um, I knew that things were going to be bad uh, because... I knew that Merkel had picked the wrong compound tire. Mm. I had picked a different one, and as far as I was concerned, it was the right one. Uh, he changed to the one I was using after they red flagged the race. Anyway, so we started the race off. Um, I didn't want to get hung up with them. We came around the first lap, and the first turn at uh, Sears Point is by the pit area, and then a left-hander real fast, maybe 140-mile-an-hour left-hander, which goes up a hill. And at the middle of this hill, uh, there's a bridge that gets you into the inside of the track, which is dangerous because the bridge abutments are right there at the edge of the track. And then at the top, you got to be on the brakes really hard and go into a real tight right-hander turn. In fact, it's probably the second slowest right-hand turn there. And I came through the left-hand turn. Everything was fine, but it wasn't. I don't remember anything from the crash. So everything I'm going to mention oh. to you right now is uh, told to me afterwards. Um, the neurosurgeon that was helping me out, he said, that's the way your body tells you you don't want to remember it. And I said, I fine. You know, that's, that's fine with me. But I went through this left-hander. I lost both wheels sliding them, and it caught and high-sided me. And when it caught and high-sided me, I guess I never even touched the ground, but I flew about a, oh, probably 50 yards in the air, and there's a dirt wall there that the track was in. That's how they had to cut it away. And I hit the dirt head first. Oh, and, yeah, never touched the ground, they said. Um, I broke C4, C6 in my neck. I broke L2, 3, and 4 in my lower back. Hmm. I broke my left femur. I had a compound segmentation fracture. They found the piece, luckily, uh, in my right femur. And then I broke oh. my right hip also in two fingers. Wow. And oh I was out God. for probably, I think it was 12 days. Whoa. And I think they had me unconscious on purpose. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that is devastating. That is a devastating crash. However, I'm going to actually quote something you said a couple of years after that. Um, and it is, 
I think physically I was able to go as fast as I had before, but I lost that mental edge that it takes to run at the highest level of racing. That's exactly right. Yeah. I said that because it was the truth. Right. So you recovered physically, but a crash like that really has to affect um, just just that that killer instinct you have as a racer, I guess. I mean, to be a racer, you have to be aggressive. I mean, that's part of the game, you know, and the thing was is that after that crash, I mean, I'm not trying to be a bad-ass person here, but none of you have ever close to death like I was. Yeah. And it changes you. It changes you. I mean, there's other people like Sheen falling off of Daytona, but he never was back on par either. No. No, no and, and that's and, that's largely true. Yeah, and so it changed me emotionally. I had two kids already. Um, was married and um, even though I don't think that that affected me I'd like to say that but I think way back in the dark deep portions of my mind that it did in fact I know it did so So, um, well we I'd like to talk about it just a little bit about what you've done since because it kind of dovetails into the crash um, you got a degree in nursing after that, didn't you? Yes. And so has that been your career since then? Yeah, until two years ago on April 15, I mean, yeah, April of 2015, I was, uh, diabetics have a lot of disadvantages, their livers, uh, right. their capillaries and their legs and, you know, them not flowing as well as they should and everything else. But what it is, is that back in even as far back as 2004, um, I woke up one morning and couldn't see out of my left eye. The mm. uh, capillaries in the uh, veins in my left eye had burst and scarred the red eye. So I, I can, if I close my right eye, I mean, if I close my left eye, it was my right eye. I'm, all wrong here um, is it like I can see across my kitchen right now and I can see where the stove is but everything's blurry nothing has a definite line to it mm-hmm. and then in 2015 I was lifting we were transferring this lady up into a bed about 300 pounds and uh, the left one went I couldn't see anything at all it was I was totally blind for about uh, about a month and then finally the, I had what they call a viscosity surgery done not mm-hmm. viscosity this viscous well, membrane or something yeah, yeah uh, vitreous they membrane. The, yeah they cleaned all the junk out of it so I can see now oh thank God okay but, uh, it's not anywhere where it should be so that allowed me to go into the medical field. And what I love is in your profession after you were qualified to help out because weren't you doing like orthopedics and and surgeries, uh, assisting surgery, stuff like that. So you you understood what these people were going through. It really does help 
when you're a nurse and you're talking, because we have the first line of defense when you're in a hospital. They see more of the nurses than they do of the doctors. So if I could walk in and somebody that might have broken their leg, uh, no, actually in anything that was wrong with them, I could relate to them and say, I know this is what you need to do, not think about that, blah, 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 blah. Crack jokes, stupid jokes. <laughs> you know, I imagine and, that. And the thing is, is that uh, have you guys, any of you ever been in a hospital for, say, over three or four days? Yes. <laughs> it's okay. not fun. And no. nursing is such a huge part of it because your nurse is your point of contact. The right. doctor, he's almost like this godlike figure. You know, you hear this hush come over the ward. Oh, the doctor's doing his rounds. So the doctor right. kind of breezes in. Oh, Miss Booten, you're doing terribly well. And then looks at your chart and breezes off again. Whereas the nurse really is the one who takes care of you. Well, then you understand the position that I enjoyed. Yes. You know, because I could relate to these people with all kinds of different problems. Uh, and just the fact of being in a hospital, I could, like I said, crack jokes, make them laugh, make them smile. So if I walked out of the room and the patient was smiling, I did my job. You know, I mean. That is just, that's just great. I can imagine if I'm like if if I'm in the hospital and I'm complaining about the food or complaining about my broken wrist or whatever, you'd be like, "Oh, really? Well, I launched half a football field into a dirt wall off a fucking superbike. So tell me more about how your scrambled eggs aren't quite right." Right. <laughs> yeah. And and it was. I mean, that's a little over blunt on it, but that's exactly right. I could I could say I've been there in. I think for whatever God did for me, he's given me an able to talk with people. And just like that little kid that was in the picture, right. being able to talk with them and kind of get them to understand, get on their level of things. And so it was, it was a good job, a good field for me to go into. I was kind of, well, I was kind of half kidding, but in reality, you have walked through the fires. So I think I think that the fact that you are giving back and that's what you're doing is giving back by helping people. You can you can really relate and like, yeah, I know what pain is. I know what medication does to you, et cetera, what your mind goes through. Yep. Yep. You got it. You got you it. Know, um, Wes, I know we're running a little bit short of time. Um <laughs> A couple of things I'd like to say. I mean, you've been a great ambassador for the sport over the years. Um, we we were discussing 2020, I think, is going to be written off for mm. um, motorcycle events. But, of course, 2021 is going to ramp up as well as it did before. If you would consider um, coming to an event here in California in 2021 as an ambassador for yourself... And being our guest as Motorcycle and Misfits, it would be an, our absolute honor to host you, Wes. I'm really well, thinking of 2021, the quail event. Um, so well, it's something I hope take, you'll consider. You know, I tell you what, is that thank you guys for doing this with me. And I hope that the people who are listening to your podcast and everything else can get something out of this because. Oh, they this will. Is, this is part of what 
I would like to give back to the motorcycle industry right now. Is there anything I can relate with to spectators and to enthusiasts uh, to be able to hear the old stories and and to be able to think about what I might have gone through and what they're probably going right. through uh, now is the, that would be an honor for me to oh, do. Uh, in that case, you know, I, we're going to stay in touch with you, Wes. Okay, we really that's will. good with me. That's good with me. And I hope I've answered any of your questions, if not mm -hmm. all of them. More than answered. Um, I'd like to... I think we have Sorry, one, more, one more question from Jim. Thank you, Liza. I know we're out of time, but you, you happen to mention old stories. So I do have one question, but it's actually okay. two. I just wanted Liza to think it was one, so she let me ask it. <laughs> so it's kind of specific, but I also have to mention, I have never seen Miss Emma so excited about a motorcycle racer other than Barry Shane. <laughs> And you mentioned his name, so we have to talk about it another time, but Emma loves Barry, and you brought his name up, which I thought was interesting. But but back to, to, um, to Pops, if you're talking about Pops, what do you think his biggest accomplishment was as far as contributing to motorcycles? And what do you think might be most overlooked that he did contributing to motorcycles? Uh, okay, so I think that Pops' biggest contribution was the fact that he could take something that the factory couldn't even make go fast and make it fast. Mm. And is also his being humble. Pops never, never tooted his own horn, never, never did anything. He helped out everybody except for, you know, I mean, it was, uh, he wouldn't go over to Honda and tell them what they were doing or Kawasaki. But if they needed to use one of a piece of equipment they had or anything else, there was no question. He wouldn't bother with that at all. Real quick, while we're on Pops, I'm going to go real quick, okay? Yeah. So I get this call. For, I go to North Hollywood, and this is right before the Suzuki 8-hour race. And Fujio says to me, Pops upstairs, because it was upstairs and downstairs, he says, and he needs to talk to you. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, go upstairs, talk to Pops. So I go upstairs and I said, hello, Pops, you wanted to speak with me? The guy knew English the whole time. <laughs> the guy knew English the whole time. He spoke to me exactly in perfect English. Well, I mean, not exactly, but yeah, I mean, That's amazing. I, I, was, I was, I know my jaw was hanging on the ground when I walked down the stairs. It was unbelievable. That unbelievable. is funny. Yeah, I was literally unbelievable. Of course, I'm the cat was get, out of the bag and they talked to me. I'm going to get the last word in here, and it's not going to okay. be my word. I'm going to quote from the AMA Hall of Fame. Wes Cooley will always be remembered for changing the face of AMA superbike racing in its formative years. He was also a fan favorite throughout his racing career. He often took the time, even after a hard day of racing, to sit down and chat with admiring fans. Wes Cooley helped build AMA Superbike Racing into one of the premier racing series 
in all of motorcycle racing. That's quite a legacy, Wes. Um, thank you. And that's the AMA. Thank you. There you go. All, I mean, thank you. I mean, what else can I say? That's what I was trying to do, and they thought I did it, so that's great. That's what I'm, I've accomplished something then in my life. Yes, you have. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing these stories. We love hearing these stories. Um, and maybe we can get you on to tell more because I know there's more. There's more names we haven't even mentioned. You guys, as I was looking at some of the videos of old races that are available, there's a race he was in, and as they're panning across the racers, there's Reg Pridmore on the Vetter uh, on the Vetter bikes, sp- sponsored by Craig. So, yeah, Craig Vetter is a good friend of ours as well. Um, so all these names, it's like, I just, there's, I can't get enough I got stories. stories about Craig, too. Oh, you do? <laughs> all right. I'll let you tell <laughs> one more story. Perfect. Let's hear a story about we'll Craig. Save, we'll save that next time. There we go. Yeah, so let's do that one next time. And you know what? We <laughs> might just get Craig Vetter on the phone as well and there get him go. to actually fact check you in real time. You guys, how cool... How cool, a great guy. How cool would it be great to get guy. a bunch of these old racers on and get them shit-talking about each other? That would be Wouldn't great. Let's do it. Oh, <laughs> my God. Uh, not an interpreter, but a beep. So the, the oh, no, no. We're a very adult-rated <laughs> podcast. People know what they're getting into when they listen to us, so you guys can all speak freely. Wes, it, uh, it's been an... Uh, I can't even tell you how much of a pleasure it's been. Um you know, as a, as a basically a snotty kid, having a poster of you fighting a Yoshimura GS1000 around the corkscrew. And that was 41 years ago I had that poster. It's amazing that we're actually talking. It's, it, it's beyond thrilling for me. Well, I want to thank you and all the people that listen to this for giving me this opportunity because it's been fantastic. I mean, I can't... Awesome. Fantastic. Great. I'll well, do it again anytime you want me to. That's yeah. awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much, cool. Wes. And I'm going to hold you to that. I'd love to have you on. I want to hear more stories. Yes. I, I told you the truth anytime, guys. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Oh, Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very right. much. You have a good evening. Okay. Hey, you, too. Evening, man. you too. Right. Good night. Good to you, Wes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What do you guys think about that? I oh, could talk to that guy all night. There's so many questions I wanted to ask him. That might yeah. be one of the best interviews we've ever done. That was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. we might need to have like a new story hour with, with Wes. <laughs> I know. The whole pops the whole pops thing, the whole history yeah. and like the California race racing. Um there's just so much there. It's it's, it's wild. But you know, it's the mu- it's the thing that's so interesting is it's a moment in time, and it really is the golden age of superbike racing. I'll tell you what, his Suzuki leathers, the white Suzuki leathers with the blue S in the front, are some yeah. of the coolest looking race leathers I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was yeah. of the time. It really was. But yeah, what a great interview. Yeah, big, big thanks to Emma for putting that together. You're yeah, the one who got that on. for us. Yeah, nice. I know. I yeah, love well, you know, hey, it's like, Jim said it. He has never seen me so excited. Well, I have Barry Sheen, but like that's next level. Barry Sheen's in a class by his own. 
well, you know, and unfortunately, to interview Barry Sheen, we'd need a medium, you know, and a Ouija board, <laughs> because, because, so but that ain't going to happen. It was interesting that they're both racing for Suzuki, um, and he referenced him in the crash, like, like Barry's name came out of nowhere. He's like, well, look yes. at Barry. He fucking crashed too. But some, I'm curious if they knew each other at all. Like, what was that? Well, it was it was a, a different class of racing. Yeah, it's yeah. GP versus Superbike, but yet still Suzuki. I don't know. Yeah, probably, I mean, probably really separate back then because it's a whole different fucking car. Right. They probably had completely different. Um... Are we still recording? Yes. Oh shit! I didn't think we were. I thought we were just bullshitting. <laughs> no. But I think recording. what would be fun, and I mean, this is by no means a promise because it it would um, take quite some setting up. But if um, if we get if we were to get Wes Coley, Eddie Lawson, and Freddie Spencer on the same show, and they can just we could just turn our microphones off and let oh, yeah. them yak to each other and talk shit about each other. That would be quite a show. <laughs> wow. oh, and here's my idea: the, the surprise ending is we bring we bring Kenny in as a surprise guest. Oh we could call the God. podcast. Uh, we could call the podcast. Racers Surprise, motherfuckers! <laughs> yeah, now that would be quite something. And Kenny can talk trash about all of them riding their oh, diesel yeah. bikes, except Wayne Rainey. You know, like Wayne's so cool. I, anyway, yeah. Brought to you by Motorcycles and Misfits. You know this rinky-dink little podcast out of Santa Cruz. We get some pretty <laughs> big names. <laughs> So um, I just wanted to get to some new stuff real quick. Um, I don't. I think I've alluded to it, but officially the Santa Cruz Moto Film Festival has been canceled because uh, the um, no gathering got extended past that date. So um, and also sorry we're not, to hear that, man. We're, we're not able to just. It's not that easy to just put it online because yeah. a lot of films have restrictions about being um, released to the public, maybe because of their uh, other deals that they have in place, distribution deals, production deals. You can't just make it free online. Um, so we were not able to do that. But since it had been curated already, um, we are letting our judges view it and we will be announcing the awards because there's some really good films in there and we want right. to reward them for that. And I am thrilled to say that I am one of the judges. Um, I'm crunching my way through the films. There are some fantastic submissions. There's a lot of talented people out there. Exactly. And, and again, not all of these are available online, but I can tell you that um, when I first started this adventure, I went on YouTube and Vimeo and would just, you know, search under like for motorcycles. And I actually found a lot of really cool films. Some of them from like um, Knock, where some of your people are from, like some of those exotic island nations mm -hmm. and stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying where motorcycles uh, are really common and there mm -hmm. are people um, with the simple technology, but making their own films about the cultures there. And I found them fascinating to see like well, the, a, a the bike show in Indonesia, beach. you know. The culture of beach flats. Yeah. Um, so I know in this time when people are locked in, 
Um, hey, I highly recommend going to Vimeo and just type under the search word uh, motorcycle. Right. The thing is, there's a lot of stuff you have to watch, a lot uh, of people's vacation videos and just, you know, going down a dirt road for six hours. But there's good stuff. What's your real, what I realized in the in the quarantine is there's a lot of fucking digital consumable media out there. And it's just like you don't even know where to start. You exactly. Know? Yeah, it's, you, it's, it's easy so to get different. overwhelmed, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you can yeah. you you can dive down a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and then that's your entire day gone. Yeah. Yeah, but there's I recommend go uh, to Vimeo and check out some of the films that are on there. Um, <clears throat> my favorite, of course, is the Sobbing Scooterist, simply because it stars <laughs> my favorite bagler. Oh, you'll thank always, you, Emma. You'll always be my favorite movie star, darling. It is a fan <laughs> thank favorite. You. But um, I, I, I've been finding some other ways to entertain myself. In fact, Jim and I broke the rules a little bit yesterday. <laughs> I think we actually broke part of the municipal code yesterday. Uh, and maybe some laws. Um, and it did involve motorcycles, so that is an issue to talk it about. It did. It, it did. It, it, oh, God. So here's the deal. Um, fire. There was fire. So I got a new toy. And uh, I'll show you guys the box here. I got my new Evil Knievel stunt cycle set. Wow. That's right. So this is the latest uh, generation of the Repop. So the original's from the 70s, and then there was uh, Repop in 1998, and that's the other one that I've had that we play with. And then this is a new uh, Repop that just came out this month from uh, California Creations. I think you can go to cacreations.com and find it. Um, But I got a few in, so there was one to play with, so I took it over to Jim's, and we turned into children. right quick um and it brought back all those memories of being kids and playing with it and creating jumps and obstacles and stuff like that and then you there's the realization like wait we're adults and we have things like gasoline and torches and we elevated it beyond what we could do as kids and and no one to stop you jim (laughs) how much fun did you have I've got a burn mark on the concrete in the back of my house. Like, <laughs> nice. Size of the, well, yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> we nice. did. It went, from, it went from, let's see if this thing's going to work, to, I don't even know how to describe what we ended up with, besides we had, like, the ring of fire, ring of fire, sparklers, a marching <laughs> monkey playing cymbals. <laughs> Stack of tires with a with a ramp Stack on it. Of tires. We Those we are... tried to make him jump the mini bike. Liza like is like, hey, the review said it's a little undergeared, might kind of suck. We're like, okay, and we fired that thing up, and it fires up like Batman's turbine mobile. Man, it was like, woo, 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 woo. You're like holy shit, and he ripped, man. It was like holy moly. He would do flips, bounce off shit, keep going. <clears throat> I don't think he ever stopped for the most part. You know how when you're a kid and you play with a toy and you may even fondly remember toys from your childhood, but the reality, you might have played with it for 15 minutes and then moved on to something else? I can't believe, Jim, we were there for hours. Okay, dude, check it out. I think I can show you <laughs> the video. Can you guys see? You know this, what? Is what we, this is what we made. You say like back when you were a kid, but you're still a child. Know. You know this. <laughs> well, this, we were going to shoot them off this thing. This is the, <laughs> the ring of fire. Oh, there's part of the burnt fire too. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So they are scorched uh, concrete, and uh, oh, we were we were pouring gasoline on pile of leaves, all sorts of shit. It was great. <laughs> we had the wall of fire going. Um, that toy is so much fun. And it took a beating. We were you. Oh, we yeah. were doing that for like two and a half hours. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> it was I, ridiculous. I have seen the video, and I put it to you that it doesn't rekindle fond memories of being 10 years old. It turns you into a 10-year-old. Yes. <laughs> it totally does. Like, I immediately got to – Liza had to slow me down. I'm running around. I've got a fucking, like, a pro, propane torch in one hand, two and a half gallons of gas in the other. I don't know where to pick up Evil Knievel next. It was It was great. <laughs> we should do it again tonight actually when the sun goes down i know right Ooh, nighttime evil knievel that sounds like fun well, that's when well, the sparkles or sparkles are good guess what so you know how what? i said i got i got so i got extras of these right yeah um yeah. i want to i want to give i want to give one away to a listener right now oh oh, oh no hang on you got to make them work for it though yeah <laughs> And a five dollar gift card for gasoline. You know, <laughs> that's, that's back. That's like a full tank these days. Um, and it gets it's harder to come up with like trivia questions that you can't just Google and find out. So I have one, um, and hopefully you don't just Google it. I want. I'm hoping people will either have retained this or will go back and listen to the Gary Davis episode because the answer is in the episode. Nice. So you misfits, don't get excited and yell the answer if you know it. So here's what you got to do. Um, just email me at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. Oh, Jim, did you just fall down? <laughs> you drunk again. I'm a little Um and all you got to do home cooking my god all you got to do is answer this Yoga. question okay and this is evil related okay in the gary davis uh interview we were talking about the film viva knievel where he was evil knievel stunt double and there was a jump that he did in the film it's pretty amazing where he jumped over a pit of lions and they're real lions, right? And actually, it's funny in in the interview he's talking about how out in the hot sun when they were filming that the lions just kept trying to lie down and go to sleep. They'd have to like get hoses out and hose them to get them up and angry, right? <laughs> oh, <no>. Yeah. Fucking Peter who? So here's the question: <clears throat> What famous actress owned the lions used in the filming of Viva Knievel? There you go. Send an answer. Is this, uh, is this a Tiger King crossover? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, Nock, I will give a clue that it was not the Tiger King. There you go. <laughs> not the Tiger King. It was a Carol, huh? No. So uh, email the answer to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. And the first person who sends a correct answer of who owned the lions used in the filming um you'll get this evil knievel toy sent to you and hopefully it'll make you play like a 10 year old again as we did <laughs> and he that evil he just got a little scorched right he, yeah just a little scorched the back of the bike <laughs> but you know we safety wired his ass in yep um 
which I think made a really big difference. And I have to say, I felt I felt guilty because um, on some of the crashes, uh, his helmet flew off, and then we started just like sending him off without the helmet. And I felt guilty. I'm like, Jim, we got to put the helmet on. I feel bad. He's got a pretty face. He might want to get kissed if he ever went to prison. I know. I mean, that helmet really Looks took like a beating. A boy band. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, considering it is it is Easter, we should let him just fly free like the Jesus holiday, the Jesus jump. There you go. <laughs> um, and, so, yeah, send that out. And um, I actually have some more on the way here, too. So we'll be doing some more giveaways because I think this is a great toy that you can play with your kids and feel like a kid, too. Hey, another uh, quick update. Um, the, uh, the, the podcast uh, Motorcycles and Misfits T-shirts are in, and I have started shipping them. All right. So some... Some lucky listeners yeah. are getting theirs soon. They'll be getting them this week. Um, I'm waiting for more shipping supplies to continue shipping, so it's going to be a couple weeks till I can ship the rest. Um, that's another darn problem with this whole thing is it's hard to get things shipped to you in any mm-hmm. sort of time frame. Well, it's, it's, it's like the old time frame. You just don't get it in a couple of days. It's like, oh, I got to wait four or five days, which in reality is not that unreasonable. Yeah. No, it's taking a month to get stuff from Amazon oh. right now. Oh, I did not know that because I wow. get shit like four or yeah. five days. No, a month. Um, <clears throat> I got a question for you guys. And this is some, I think each week I come to new levels of realization. Um, mm-hmm. As we're going through this whole thing and um, it, it just becomes more and more real and we're all hunkered down, but... Um, I wanted to ask, you know, have you, have you guys been out riding in the last couple of weeks? I went out today for the first time in more than a month. How did it feel? Damn. Yeah. Um, I felt a little rusty at first, I gotta wow. say. Um, but it was, it was good. Um, I felt, I felt like I wasn't all there. Like I was distracted. Um, hmm. but but it felt good to get out. It felt good to ride. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was refreshing. And knock, I mean, you don't have a car, so you only use your motorcycle to get around, but have you been going out for rides? Uh, yeah, I went on a, um, little super moto ride, but it was kind of damp out in the mountains there, but I did get like an hour, two hour ride. And then afterwards I got, you know, food and I try to do multiple tasks at once kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So until it met my exposure time, but I was at those gas stations going for the ones with the most expensive gas because they're less frequented. And I'm like trying to cover the, the, uh, my, my card and my hands with paper towels and shit like that. Just ridiculous. But yeah. Yeah. But I did, yeah. I did, did go, I did get a ride. I mean, I was careful about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And, uh, Emma, how about you? Yeah, I've been riding. And I, I I kind of feel guilty about it. Um, I just, yesterday, I, it was quite a nice day here in Monterey. Um wasn't particularly warm. It was overcast. But I heard it was clear skies and uh, warm down south. So I got on the goosey. And I just headed south on, not on the freeway, on back roads. And had probably a two, three-hour ride, and thoroughly enjoyed myself. Mm-hmm. However, 
I was a little consumed with guilt during the ride and actually afterwards as well. So many um, people are going to be disappointed in us hearing that we all went out for a ride. Well, you know, um, yeah, because it's a case of, you know, I was so vehemently anti-riding. Yeah. And I kind of still am, but it's... My problem is bikes are so much a part of who I am. Um, I really was going absolutely frigging bananas, just not riding. Um, and I thought I had to get it out of my system. That yeah, and- said, I'll do everything I can to not ride anymore. I mean, like, yeah, and- once a week ride is kind of reasonable, you know? I mean, it's... Well, and I think also it depends on on how you ride, where you ride. Um, yeah. Like we talked before about not taking chances, you know, being extra cautious because you do not want to go into a hospital right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but also, uh, th- what occurred to me was that the, the riding I was doing today was was largely on less traveled roads, um, so there wasn't a lot of traffic, not a lot of cars around, not a lot of people around. Um, so that I felt was was reasonably safe. Um, when, when, uh, I did come into town, um, I, I was, I was a little bit more apprehensive just because the, the risk and danger with all the other drivers and people around, it was just a lot higher. And I was very aware of that. So I think if, if I go riding again, and I probably will at some point just to clear my head, I'm probably just going to go up in the Hills, um, you know, not too far away, but you know, where there's not a lot of traffic, not a lot of people, uh, and just enjoy the ride. So yeah, I think. You go ahead, Jim. I was going to say the last time I went riding, I think Liza was was it when you and I went riding, May? Right? Take it back. I did some Westcliff rides, but it's been about seven or ten days since I've ridden, which is a long time. And it's interesting. So here's kind of my, my the decision I have to make now is tomorrow morning I'm going to go into work for about four hours, and I go in over seventeen. I go in early in the morning. I'll be on the road tomorrow at probably like five fifteen. Um, so the traffic's light. It's not that bad. But still, I also have a truck I can drive. So here's the thing. I, I legally, by mandate, am able to ride a motorcycle to my job because it's considered essential. But I also mm-hmm. have a truck I can drive as well. But it's probably a very safe time to ride. My bike has ABS and traction control. Is it okay for me to ride tomorrow? Or should I just standard, don't ride at all, take the truck? It's hard for me. That's a hard decision for me. So I say I- ride. I can tell you where I am. So the arc that I've been on, you remember the first week I was like, hey, this is for mental health, you know, go ahead and ride, mm-hmm. get out there. And then the next week it was, don't turn it into a social event. But if you need a ride for mental health, turn it down to like, you know, 80% and just take a nice, easy ride by yourself. I support that. Well, now yeah. I've, I've changed my story yet again. <clears throat> well, it's been an evolution. It has been an evolution. There's more and more information. I'll tell you the things that I've heard. Um, Talked to uh, Tamar, Dr. Detroit, last Mm -hmm. week. Um, And you know what's going on in in Michigan, Detroit. I mean, they're getting hammered by the virus. Hammered. Lots of deaths. It's really bad there. Um, But they Mm -hmm. also got good weather. And she was telling me that she knew of five motorcycle accidents last week. Ooh. Oh shit! Really? Because people are like, "Hey, first good weather. I want to get out and ride." 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a helmet law there either. When we had her on before, she said people are wearing like no helmets, jeans, tennis shoes, and all that shit too. Yeah. And I, I can understand too. I mean, look, it's just been weeks for us and we're chomping in the bit, but for people who go through winter and it's months and they want right. to get out and ride. So there's that. It's like, wow, that was really bad timing. Um, and then I heard of uh, two cases in the past few days. One uh, was here in town two days ago mm. and both similar stories <clears throat> seven riders issued tickets for violating the stay in shelter order the one that happened two days ago it was a group of riders from fremont um on friday evening who went for a ride and came over to santa cruz stopped at Seven Eleven to get food and drinks I saw those photos. I didn't realize they were motorcyclists. I thought they were like a car club or something. Motorcyclists. Oh, wow. wow. And then there was another post that was similar. Um, it just said it was in Springfield. I'm not sure what, because every state has a Springfield. But yeah. it was basically a group of riders on cruisers just went for a casual ride around their town. Mm-hmm. And then they came to a gas station. Again, it was a group of seven riders. They came to a gas station um, just to get some drinks because they it was a food run. They stopped and got snacks and food, right? So it mm-hmm. was, you know. Uh, essential life, and there happened life, to be other riders who had also convened at the same time so there's a large gathering yeah jim did you mention how much the fine was those dudes got up on ocean street a thousand dollars yeah thousand dollars a person yeah. um, that's quite yeah. an expensive friday night so these guys yeah, in, these guys in springfield they're just getting some drinks and and uh the gas station attendant came out and said hey i'm calling the cops on you guys oh man right and so they're like, what the hell? So they just went across the street to another lot for another uh-huh. business. And we're just having their snacks and drinks. Uh, the cops showed up and issued them all tickets. And they're like, what's the deal? It was just a short, easy run in the evening. No risk taken. We just yeah. stopped. We we got food so it was a food run like they're you know we need this is our exercise they listed all the things that i've listed at some point in this whole arc (laughs) right um but the reality is and and what i said last time is everyone keeps turning it into a social event so first off it's a you just it's a gathering why do you got to have seven people riding now it's a social event it's not you on a solo ride second of all and yeah. Go ahead, Bagel. I was, I was just going to say, and don't be hanging around outside. You know, if you're getting food, get it and get it and go. Yeah. Um, don't but do then, the right thing. Don't be stupid. That's he, the thing. Here's what I feel. Hearing all of these stories and knowing that there's people all throughout the country who are getting nice weather and want to go ride, and knowing that there are people who are using the it's exercise, it's mental health, I'm just going to go for a ride with my buddies clause, I personally have decided – I'm not riding. I don't think anyone should be riding anywhere. Like, can we all just take a seat and just, yeah, can we just sit, that's sit your out? only mode of transportation and that's how you get to work. That's how you get to the store. Obviously you got to ride, but yeah. like tomorrow I have a choice. I'm probably going to choose to drive the truck because two reasons. One is I don't want to be an unnecessary because obviously riding a motorcycle is more dangerous mm-hmm. than trucks, no matter how you want to you know, twist it. I don't, A, I don't, so I don't want to be a burden on the system. Secondly, I don't want to be fucked up 
and then have to wait in a hallway for four or five hours. Where oh, that four or five hours? Lasts. No, no, no. Longer than that. Well, whatever time that yeah. makes a significant difference in your recovery, whether it's a broken bone or what have you. So it's it's somewhat selfishly motivated. If I eat shit, I don't want to, you know, I want to get attention. I think it is. And, and you know, what? I'm not going to condemn any of you all for doing a ride because I know for a lot of people, you know, it clears your head. And if you go for a ride by yourself, it's a short ride with no stops. You'll probably, you'll probably be fine. Right. You know, and my the, suggestion would, go ahead. would be do it around something you have to do. Like you have to grocery shop. Well, at least grocery shop. Maybe don't just go joyride necessarily, but you know, turn it, do it as part of something of, of your normal routine. But the reason I'm choosing not to ride and that I'm asking everyone else to stop riding is because everyone's looking for the loophole, the claws, the way to push the boundary. And and nobody's taking it serious that you shouldn't be gathering people. You shouldn't be going for a pleasure ride right now. It's irresponsible. We all need to do our part for society right now. You brought up... Um Dr. Detroit and her situation, think about if you're overwhelmed and just barely keeping up with supplies and, you know, your your own mental stability and all that kind of shit. And all of a sudden, in one weekend, on a Saturday, three traumas come in due to people out riding motorcycles. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it really hits the road. And they're like, really? Because you figure that's pretty fucking intensive. Plugging somebody into a respirator to die or whatever, that's one thing. But all of a sudden, you got to come in with head injuries and multiple broken bones. That requires a lot of resources. And I understand in many of the states, it not only is it okay to ride, they're encouraging people to go ride mm-hmm. because it's safe solo sport, right? And you're not going to be infecting anyone when you're riding your motorcycle. So I well, get it. But Well, that's But I, so I wonder about that though. So I'm just saying at least follow the rules in your county city state whatever don't look for the loophole don't loophole don't look for the clause because just know whatever you're allowed to do that means other people allowed to do it and a lot of those other people are idiots who are ruining it for us yeah but I, my suggestion I, is to go out and get your evil knievel wheelie stunt cycle yeah. instead <laughs> you will get much more enjoyment and fun out of that freaking thing yeah, but uh, Liza, I just wanted to mention too that while yeah. I was riding, um, I I was very aware of of airflow because the the through you know air droplets or or, uh, or moisture droplets in the air is the primary uh, method of transmission for this virus. So you know while we think that you know we're out in the open air, we're okay. If you're riding behind somebody who's coughing in their car and their air droplets are going out the window, some of those are going to come in your helmet. It may not be a lot, but it doesn't take a lot, you know, and I mean, it's, it's the chances are slim, but you know, it's also not entirely safe either, you know? So, and especially if you're somewhere downtown where there's a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's more risk there as well. So, I mean, everyone do what you got to do for you, because I, like I said, for some people it's a lifeline, but I personally just feel guilty doing it, but there is an exception. Oh, did you have something to say, Jim? I just said, I suggest not going to Revzilla's page and looking at their time to do maintenance <laughs> sale section. Yeah, because I looked at it for about half an hour and got into my checkbook pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll, that, that'll happen. <laughs> um, so as I was saying, there is one exception. And, you know, a lot of our events this year are all being canceled. Um, I, 
you know, AMA Vintage Days is still scheduled for July. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, Sturgis Bike Week, I was supposed to go to that um, in August. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think anything's going to happen this year. So- I, I tend to agree with you on that. I think once once the dust settles on this, even the best case scenario, and we start moving around in May, it's not going to be a drop everything and go back to normal. No, it's going to take months to get back to normal. And it's going to be it's going to be gradual too. And um, it's going to be very gradual. And yeah. any event that involves multiple thousands of people is really going to be taboo for the remainder of 2020. So yeah. you know, yeah, I I'm very much in agreement with you there, Eliza. It's so, safe to say 2020 is canceled. So you may recall that we've been promoting rolling to remember. The ride yes. on Washington for yeah. veterans, suicide uh, prevention, and all that. Um, so that event has been canceled, but they figured out another way to do it. And this is the one thing where I'm saying, you know what? If it's allowed in your area to go ride, this is a great thing to do. So for 32 years, there's been a motorcycle demonstration on Memorial Day weekend to raise awareness of the critical issues facing our nation's veterans and demanding action for the 82,000 service members missing in action. Jim, is that you making all that noise? No. Yes. No. On, that was me. On May 24th, 2020, so May 24th, next month, the tradition will continue through the Rolling to Remember Challenge. For the first time in ride history, they will also demand action for the 22 veterans who die by suicide each day. So due to the COVID-19 health crisis and to protect the safety of the riding communities, AMVETS announces the Rolling to Remember Ride Challenge in conjunction with the Reaver motorcycle app. This challenge empowers individual riders nationwide to ride in their own community and demand action and will track all participation through the Reaver app. By tracking your participation in your local communities, they are hoping to show Congress that this is not just an issue that happens in Washington, D.C. on one day, but rather their support across the country. In addition, they're asking all Americans to sign their petition, which will be delivered to Congress. The Rolling to Remember Challenge will take place in communities across America on May 24th. They are urging all riders to ride 22 miles in their community to mark the occasion. In addition, they're asking that you only do so in compliance with state and local laws. This mission is important. That's why we must continue the tradition, but to do so in a way that bears in mind your own personal health and safety. The message will be clear throughout. Never forget our POWs and MIAs and don't stop fighting for real solutions to the suicide crisis. So you can go to rollingtoremember.com and that's where you'll find all the info to participate in this ride. So what do you guys think? Is that something that is a good reason to get out and ride? If you are going to ride, there is no better reason than to support veterans. So, yeah. So here's here's my question. Is is the idea to raise awareness, money, or both? um, All the things, but also you need to have a representation, of course, to get anything accomplished. In Hey, Bagel, can you mute? Don't fucking wreck it. Um, Sorry. To be able to to get attention, to get 
money, funding, stuff like that. You need to have people show up and say, this means something to me. Be it signing sure. petition, participating in ride, or marching on Washington. So that's I'm how... I'm devil's advocate because I think, you know, like a lot of things we're doing now, it's a time to reinvent the way we do things. Mm-hmm. Instead of maybe doing the typical, let's do the big group ride to Sacramento and lobby, maybe now's the chance to be more responsible, not ride 22 miles with a whole ton of people. Trust me, my daughter's in the Navy. I support veterans. But maybe there's this, there's a new way to do something different. Maybe you put you pay a fee to, to do it, donate the money, right, because you like the yeah. cause, put your money where your mouth is. Then maybe they take that money and use it for various ways that also support their cause. So maybe you're not promoting the, promoting it by a big ride, but maybe you're promoting it via – I don't fucking know the computer is something that's just as effective, um, but you're not putting resources at at risk. So by registering, yes, you're you're registering to participate. But I love that they're using the Reaver app to get the numbers counted so that they will have that representation. So that's pretty cool, cool. don't you think? And uh, also, Liza, remember I'd mentioned the uh, <clears throat> that there's a motorcycle uh, plate for AM vets. Oh yeah. And since we're on video, I can show it to you. Hey, look at that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yep. That is the official California AM Vets uh, special plate that you can order for your motorcycle. Which is like the organization. Awesome. Yep. Hey, you guys want to um, answer some emails? Because this, sure, sure. this is something that I, I, you know what, I've been missing. Like, I got rid of all my project bikes. I'm wishing I had a project bike now so I could be out wrenching every day in the garage. But I love that there are people still out there working on their projects. So we have some emails uh, about some of this. So this one is from Bob and he's, he needs assistance with an old scooter. Hey, Bob. Oh, yeah. Says, hello, hello, misfits. Love the show, as I, as I have been listening for about a year. Fuck knock. I would like to come mm-hmm. see the garage and the <laughs> well group said. there in like Santa Cruz. got that out of the way first. <laughs> right. Most important thing. He wants to come visit us in Santa Cruz um, next time we are speaking in person with each other. Um, he currently resides in a suburb of Chicago where there are no hills or twisties, and they only get to ride half the year. Um, aside mm. from riding his 2004 BMW, R1150RT, great bike. He picked up a 1987 Yamaha Riva CV80 last year, cheap, and have been doing some mods to improve the overall poor design and performance. Specifically, the carb was upgraded and the rollers as well. I had to add some diodes when I switched the turn signals to LED bulbs. I am currently in need of a rear brake cable and was hoping you could point me to where to search for such an item. I haven't seen any on eBay, and I am assuming the same part was used in other Yamaha bikes, or there is another brake cable that would work fine. One of the challenges is where to look for these old parts and how to know what aftermarket or crossover parts will work. Thanks and keep up the good work. So, 1987 Yamaha Riva brake cable. So, there's a couple options here. Um, you can make one, right, Emma? Um, you can. That's going to be an interesting cable to make, though. Because it's got a threaded rod on one end. Mm. It's got like a six millimeter threaded rod that you have the old um, knurled nut to adjust your rear brake. I Mm. would suggest, I'll tell you what I'd have a go with, and I think you might agree with me on this bagel. Um, If you go for a rear cable of a Primavera 150 Vespa, 
that's a that's a cable operated drum rear brake. Um, it is. The, the dimensions of the bike are going to be very very similar. It's it's got to be worth a try. Is is it is it a hand operated brake though or a yeah? Brake? No, it's a hand operated brake. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the the that Riva eighty to be honest. But, yeah, Riva eighty has got the the front brake on the right, rear brake mm -hmm. on the left. Okay, just like a Primavera. Hmm. Yeah, or ET four or LX. Or yeah, yeah, any of the contemporary Vespas with one fifties. Yeah, any of the one fifties mm -hmm. with the brakes up the top. And the good news is about Vespa spares generally they're cheap as chips. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll say is, um, and I don't know much about scooter cables, admittedly, but I just had to have a cable made for my CRF250 Rally. It's fucking expensive. I got it made for Motion Pro because there's not a lot of people that do this stuff. I know, Emma, you can make your own cables. And yes. you know, I, I told her, I said, because we talked about it, I said, hey, Emma, guess how much it's going to cost me to get a fucking dirt bike cable made? And you said like 15 bucks. And it was ridiculously expensive. But so I'll say, I think giving something else to try is a great way to start. So um, there's a trick I used to use. I don't think you can do it anymore, but maybe you know another place to do it. So you used to be able to go on to Bike Bandit, look up your bike, find the part number. Right. And then you could go back and search, put that part number in the search field, and it would show you all the vehicles that that part number was on. I don't, I think they disabled that, but there has to be yeah. some other site like that i mean right? the, all i would do is a reaver is a, a a small dimension like step through scooter it's a very quite a traditionally style style scooter in a sort of george jetson kind of way um but you know yamaha did a few of these things they did the the jog yeah. i believe which was a scooter the chappy which mm -hmm. I think was a scooter. Um, but I think if you can't get a cable for a reaver, you're gonna be you're gonna be in exactly the same position for a jog or a chappy or any of the other scooters. I really think what you're gonna have to do is really find something contemporary and just work with that. There's another trick I've used, and that's eBay is set to USA and oftentimes you can check other countries like UK and you right. may find it there if that bike was also there. So And I can I can vouch that any seller unless they specifically say they won't do overseas shipping. Yeah. You can buy stuff from any eBay and just pay via PayPal. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what country it's in and a week later it's going to arrive. Yeah, so don't give up on those hard-to-find parts. You may find it on another country. You pay a little extra, but it's worth it just to get it. That's I know somebody that. who's got a Reva cable. Who? And that would be CSMNL. CSMNL. And they pretty much have everything. Gonna Is get that the from California School of Monkey Nuts Lovin'? There you go. <laughs> well, but as you can imagine, exactly what it is. Because it's I'm NL. Sit down on my table. Yeah, um, because it's NL. The parts are going to be shipped from Holland, and you you can be a little bit disappointed because you'll find your part, and they'll want about 
30 euros for it, say 40 bucks, but then you see the shipping is far more. But if you yeah. want old Japanese parts, CSMNL, pretty much are my go-to people. There you go. Um, California, California School, monkey loving nuts. Monkey, monkey nuts loving. There you go. Good way of remembering it. Um, um, but Yeah. Good. Yes. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, this one is from our friend Gavin. He says, hi, Misfits. Speaking, Hello, Gavin. Speaking from Hello, a Gavin. very sunny Bolton, Northwest UK. It's a bit of a heat wave over here, and I know people want to ride. I do, too. I even get that a lot of people commute on their bikes around here. I'm a bus driver, and not only am I seeing lots of bikes out in the warm mm -hmm. weather, but lots of them are wearing very little gear. I know that you uh -huh. have expressed to the listeners your opinion on riding unnecessarily right now, but if you could reiterate, and most particularly to the UK listeners that have got the first son of the year fever... If you're going to make the decision to take a ride or you have to ride right now, please remember to wear protective gear all the time. Let's not make the situation any worse than it is, please. How about this? Stay at home, you wankers! <laughs> you wanker! <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that, that was terribly authentic, Knock. It was almost <laughs> like you were back home. No, I mean, really, I mean, he's up, Gavin is absolutely right. And... Um, for, for the UK people, if you're going to go out on your bike, yeah, don't be a tosser about it. At least wear some <laughs> decent, at least wear some decent clothing. Come well, on now. And let's just say not just UK. Anybody who's going out for a ride, if you, after everything we yes. just said, if you have to go for a ride, please wear more gear. Z Traveler, I'm talking to you. Wear your rubbers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I think we got time for one more. This one is from Michael. He says, hello, misfits. Hello, <laughs> Michael. Michael. Big fan hey. and first time riding in. I am from the lovely state of New Jersey, and I've been riding cruisers for about five years now. After I'm, I'm, I'm going to step in there. Yeah. Uh -huh. How many times a day do you think Michael says, do you think you're better than me? he says uh after listening to you fine folks for some time now i've caught the itch for some off-road riding even yeah. right on. Right. good i also have finally purchased a home that has a garage so having multiple bikes is in my future awesome garage. i wanted good. all of your opinions especially mrs emma miss emma's about what Secondhand dual sport or ADV would be a good purchase. I want to be able to ride it on the road for a decent bit and preferably something I can grab for under 5K. Oh, that's a good question. So budget. before before yeah. you guys shout out your yeah, answers, because everyone has a good opinion. I want to say, say I want to so. say that there's three categories to choose from. And you guys can comment on this. Um, there's the 250s, there's like the 400s, yeah. and then there's yep. the 650s. Okay? Yep. So each of those are going to be for different benefits. The lighter it is, the smaller it is, the better it's going to be on the dirt, the suckier on the road. Right. The heavier it is, suckier on the dirt, the better on the road. Right. So it depends on how much road versus street, you know, or dirt riding well, you want to do. depends on your riding. Like, are you going to be doing hill climbs or is it trail riding? Are you going to have asphalt or are you going to well, have sand and mud? I tell you what, I'm going to step in on this. And I'm not going to say what Knock th thinks I'm going to say. Mm. Because um, 
he's just starting out in the dirt. So you don't want a horse. Mm-hmm. You, don't want, you don't want a big horse if you're just starting out in the dirt. But he wants to ride to his destination. Five do, we know how, budget, do we know how big he is? No. 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 But my suggestion, especially in that budget, DRZ 400. That's exactly what I was thinking. S. DRZ 400 yep. S. That's the yep. plated, uh, the street legal version. Yep. You know what? With 4000 bucks. I mean, if you're willing to do the little extra work as far as maintenance, you might be able to get more high performance type of bike. I mean, five thousand bucks for a dual sport nowadays. Oh, that's plenty of stuff. Yeah. So here, here, so here, I'll throw mine out. So uh, I think that's an awesome one. Um, but it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit heavy and a bit of a beast. I think it's a bitchin' motorcycle. Don't get me wrong. I like the DRZ four hundred a lot. Mm-hmm. But what about? Um, uh, I would say like a WR two fifty. I think it's yeah. It's, I it's mean, WR250s are great bikes. So we were going down to Big Sur. Justin on his was doing 75, no problem. Justin's a big guy. The fork, the suspension's fully adjustable. Makes like 24, 26 horsepower. So it's not yeah. like you know, and it's not super heavy. So I like the WR250 for a dual sport in the 250 class. I don't think there are that many about. And. I, I'll go big, and I'll say the uh, the Honda XL650. Oh, if, if, if the though, type of bike, if the type of riding you want to do is to go do fire trails, because a yeah. lot of people get into riding, they don't want to go do single track. They just want to go do fire trails, dirt roads. That's an excellent bike that you can ride a good distance and high speed on. And but um, I will do a final whatever he chooses to buy. Michael, right? Mm-hmm. Jersey. Jersey Mike, um, whatever he chooses to buy, if you buy used, you are going to see two kinds of bikes. You're going to see bone stock ones, and you're going to see ones that have been quite heavily modified, especially DRZ 400s, by the bone stock one. Because mm-hmm. people have wildly different abilities. And if you see a bike that's advertised as having a high lift cam and a 490 big bore kit and a super trap exhaust and a pumper carburetor, mm-hmm. and all of these components are very desirable to have, if they've been fitted by a complete chimpanzee with a wrench, they can be the best components in the world, but the thing's going to blow up the first time you use it in anger. DRZ 400s in particular attract customizers some are extremely talented people some i would not trust with a pair of scissors there you go uh, yeah there's a scalpel too on the road uh, you know yeah, aside from, um, with, with the with the budget that you have aside from getting me you know, a nicely decent priced bike you might also want to look into like off-road riding schools yeah you know? having a, a professional idea. you know for a thousand bucks i think you would be hard pressed to find one to that's you know that's not comprehensive. So there you well, go. Yeah. Something, I was going to say, throw something out. Like if you found like, say uh, a not too old KLX, those are pretty reasonable. Pick up something like that for like Knox said, a KLX for, you know, three grand, it'll be in good shape. Then take the other thousand dollars and do two days of a writing school. I think that's a great idea, Knock. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. There's your answer. So, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, um, I think so too. Yeah. Another yeah, awesome. another good show. Uh, 
brought to you from the our homes. Um, I appreciate that everyone is sticking with us. Uh, we've had a, uh, I mean, we've lost some listeners. I think a lot of people aren't going to work, but there's a lot of people still out there listening. Um, and I just want to say, hey, if you like what you're hearing, share it. Uh, share it on your, oh, geez. Put the torch down, Jim. Share it on uh, social media. We would really appreciate it. Put the word out there. Let people yeah. know that we're here. We're still doing this thing. And I hope that everyone is is being safe out there. Um, you know, it makes me realize that uh, Sundays are a lot more interesting when I'm hanging out and doing podcast shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It still gives us something to look forward to right. on the week. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I know what retirement is going to be like now. And it kind of sounds well, I, like well, I, I don't very much, actually. <laughs> Mine is the social distancing. I am uh, really good at this. But as a reminder to you all, I'm still working as well because, you know, I'm a mechanic. And yeah. so, you know, I'm considered an essential employee. So as a reminder, if you need your superbike service, come to Seaside Superbikes. Yes, that's <laughs> Seaside Superbikes. Cha-ching. For all your superbike needs, Seaside Superbikes, the superbike store in the seaside. <laughs> how much how much is a spark plug? <laughs> spark plug is very expensive, senor. Perfect. Nice. Oh, and Emma, I should have an update for you soon. I'm not going to go into detail just yet, but um, the speedometer is working on my KTM. The speedometer is. It is, thanks to wow. a certain mechanic. So I don't have the bike back yet, but there will be a story. He did figure out what was wrong with it. Was it a bunch of weird connections? Because I know the guy, I know the guy that knows the guy that worked on your bike. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a bunch of connections? Um, I haven't seen it yet. Uh He said that there was some um, splices and connections uh, in the headlight area. But that's not me because everything I did, I put on the cam bus under the seat. Just and ran everything from there. Hmm. So might have been something pre-existing. We'll get into it once I get more yeah. explanation. But the I good news it was, is and it, it, he found the, the wire that was the problem. And it wasn't uh, was just great. And it wasn't your headlight modulator or anything? No, it wasn't my headlight okay. modulator. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, and another um, news, our website has been down. I know I'm working on it. It's complicated. I think I have to switch hosts. So I'm not going to say go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com right now because there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. But um, you can always go to our Facebook page, Recycle Santa Cruz, and you'll find things we're doing. Uh, some videos of Jim and I being idiots with Evil Knievel toys. And um, just an update. Yes, and just an update for my um, Emma's Army fans. Yeah. My printer um, is still closed. Yep. It, they will be closed for the duration of the lockdown. The stickers will arrive probably, I'm guessing, by mid-May. Um, as soon as they arrive, I'll start shipping them out. So thank you guys for your patience. But I have no stock right now on Emma's Army stickers. So you're going to have to wait until the printer's open. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. Knock, you got mm-hmm. something to say? Oh, yeah. I was uh, on the Cleveland Motor Podcast recently. Go. We were right. doing the yeah. webcast. What did you uh, talk about? whole bunch of just stuff. And we was mostly just drinking and talking about bikes. 
You know, that, that's a, a Cleveland Moto podcast kind of day. <laughs> it was a down. It was it was super fun to be on there because everybody's super nice and super chill and uh, yeah they are cool. I, I haven't told Phil um, yet. He doesn't know that I know, um, but he was on the Girl on a Moto podcast and he said some very nice things about me and us. And um, yes. so he's one of my favorite people right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and shout out to uh, Girl on a Moto podcast. I've yeah. uh, I heard heard about them through his podcast when he first mentioned that. Cool. I've, uh, I've binge binge listened to to all their episodes, and yeah, it's a cool show. Yeah, there you go. All right, so you guys stay safe. If you're gonna ride, if you gotta ride, ride alone and ride with oh, full gear. That's I mean, just please for me, full gear. Take it easy. Um, we will get through this, um, but yeah, it's it's everything's changed. But for now, hey, go on a Vimeo, watch uh, movies, and go on YouTube and and type in Wes Cooley. Watch some of you his races. Watch, you you can watch a Wes Cooley video where he's some they're racing. Yeah, somebody crashes into a ball of fire, <laughs> yeah. run over, pick the bike up out of the fire, and the guy keeps racing. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Fucking awesome. That's great. I'm pretty sure nice. that was uh, Freddie Spencer on fire. He just ran away from the flames. <laughs> That's Freddie, that is. Exactly. Well, thanks, uh, all of our listeners, for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. But thank you guys uh, to the Misfits for joining me each week and keeping this thing and going. Thank you, Liza, for the shirts. They came out great. The yeah, Patreon cool. shirts really look good. That, that was well done. I, I really miss being like herded into that room and just burping and making all kinds of ridiculous noise before the show starts having to crack open the window because it stinks in here and are you saying you miss us snock a little bit oh i miss your guys's funk you know it's, it's like it's like a it's like an old sweatshirt that you just can't get rid of oh, oh send, that, send me, i think that might 35 be bucks i'll send you my underwear <laughs> That might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Nock. That's 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 as high as it goes. <laughs> well, I think speaking of going, let's get out of here. Thanks, everyone. This is Liza. This is Nock. Bagel. Nikki Jim. Emma Darling. And we're out of here. Cool, cool, cool. cool. cool.